Exodus 3, 7-10 And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a, a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come up to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCrary. And I'm Brian Bales. And today we'd like to talk with you about the Bible. Specifically, we want to discuss Exodus chapter 3 through 4. Uh, Walking Through the Book is all about these three things. We want to encourage Bible reading in our listeners to demonstrate proper and responsible study of the Bible on our own basis, and also to emphasize what the text says, no more and no less. We want to make sure that as listeners, you uh, begin to appreciate the Bible if you don't already. And if you already have an appreciation of the Bible, that that appreciation is deepened by our time together in study. And so I encourage you to think about these things, and we're thankful for you taking the time with us. Before we start, we do want to let you know how to get in touch with us. You can find us on Facebook. If you search at Walking Through the Book, you can find us there. Very easily, you can uh, make a comment or send us a message. Uh, We would love to have feedback about the program and what we're doing. You can also email us at walkingthroughthebook at protonmail.com. Also, you can find this podcast and other podcasts hosted on northcolumbuschristians.com. That's the website of the church that I work and worship with in Columbus, Mississippi, the North Columbus Church of Christ. Again, we're thankful for you being with us. And uh, Bryant, uh, how are things going for you? Going very, very well. Very well. Looking forward to the study. And uh, uh, I preach with, um, for the listener, I preach with a church in Garden City, uh, Georgia, which is just west of downtown Savannah, Georgia. Um, You can uh, visit our website, gardencitycoc.org. It's a old website that we're looking to replace here in just a little bit, but we do have a Facebook page. Uh, if you want to look up the garden city church of Christ on Facebook. That's really good to hear for our new listeners to have contact info, to get in touch with us and everything. We love your questions, your comments, your input into this program is certainly useful and helpful uh, for us as well in our studies and to learn more about the Lord. And uh, so there, there's a particular format we have for the program. And Brian, why don't you go over that right now? Yeah, no problem. Uh, so if uh, you've been listening with us for a while or you've listened to us before, um, you'll know that we do a really simple approach to uh, Scripture. Uh, we really try to keep it simple because we really do believe that 
the word itself is as being the word of God is so deep and sufficient to teach um, lessons from the text that I think sometimes can be overlooked when uh, when we try to complicate our reading or reference other guides and books, even though um, those can be helpful. Um, what we're trying to do is is really emphasize just how rich and wonderful it is just to sit down and read and talk about the word by itself. So our approach is we try to read a certain uh, amount of chapters at the onset, and we'll be reading uh, two chapters uh, for this uh, podcast. And after that, we make some initial observations, things that we may have noticed for the first time, or maybe just some things in the text that we'd like to, to talk about and discuss. After that, we get into some themes of connections throughout the Old Testament story, maybe through Exodus itself, uh, connections to the New Testament, to Christ, to the church, or to New Testament teaching. And uh, we always try to conclude looking at some applications we can make from the text as well, something to hold on to and, and try to make the, the lessons more realized in a practical way. So that's, that's how we're going to approach it uh, today. Very good. So uh, I think, Bryant, I'll have you read chapter three, if that's all right, and I'll read chapter mm-hmm. four directly after. Sounds good. And I'll be reading out of the New American Standard Bible. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, 
Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will pay heed to what you say, and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. Chapter 4 Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand, and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river, and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. 
So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the signs. So Moses went and returned to Jethro his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt, and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart, so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let them go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So in this section, of course, we want to look at the things that are in this chapter and maybe even pull some things that we've seen already so far. Uh, but primarily, we want to stick with uh, within the context of chapters three and four of Exodus. And, uh, you know, one of the things, Bryant, that just had never really jumped out at me in in reading before. But, you know, there's so much in here that the Lord is laying out to him beforehand everything that's right. going to happen in such amazing yeah. detail. And, uh, but the fact that, you know, in verses 22 and 23 of chapter four, you know, Israel is my son, my firstborn, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. What a personal, I mean, 
if I said that to someone, it would be regarded as a personal threat. The reason I say that is that I think what, you know, often in the scriptures, you know, you, you see conflicts forming, especially, you know, and we could talk about this more in the next section, but, you know, especially in the Gospels, one of the first things you see happening is this this confrontation between Jesus and the Jews begins to boil or form. And uh, I think this is where you start to see this conflict between uh, between God and, and Pharaoh form at this point. And right. uh, I just, I think it's it, th- that particular verse had never really stood out to me before, but I, I think it's yeah. you know pretty interesting and significant. No, that is, that is really interesting. That, I, Cause that, that whole section is interesting. He calling Israel his firstborn, his own son, and then pitting son against son, you know, basically if you don't let my son go, then I'm going to kill your son. And, and yeah, that's just that it's, it's extremely personal. It's like saying like, you know, this is between me and you, Pharaoh. It's really interesting. Yeah. What were some other things that you saw that kind of interested you? Man, there's, I mean, one of the, (laughs) one of the initial things I was thinking about is just how many things, how many interesting things happen here. Like it's like nonstop, incredible fascinating things that are happening like line by line, basically. Um, one of the, one of the things is just how God appeared. I think it's just so easy to, I guess, get so used to how this is all supposed to go because, you know, we're all generally very familiar with the story of Exodus more than most stories in the Bible. But I mean, for God, Lord above all lofty and exalted who spoke everything into existence to just be stumbled upon in a little burning bush. And that's his great magnificent first appearance to anyone of Israel after Jacob and Joseph and all that. I mean, that's like, wow. And, and, and this is really like the first time God in some form had appeared to anyone in such a long time. I think the last time God had actually appeared might have been when Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord Yes. Uh, and I don't think there's an instance after that. So it, it is really interesting how strange and gentle and small this all is. It's just, it's really amazing. And so, I mean, because of that, then we can appreciate that at least in terms of the text, it doesn't seem like there's been an event like this for, you know, not just 400 years, but right. I mean, maybe five or 600 years, depending upon how long you're talking about between the time that Jacob wrestled with God to the time that, uh, that they end up in Egypt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that's just really amazing. I think that's one of the things is like the more, the more we appreciate who God is generally, the more things like this become more amazing every time we go back to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because, you know, this is so, again, we've touched on this, but this is such an iconic part of scripture, I think. Yeah. Definitely. You know, when people think about Judaism, when they think about what that means or what the Old Testament means, you know, the images of, the story of Moses come to mind and, 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 you know, really for good reason. I mean, this is a, a, a massive victory that God is going to show to the whole world. And, uh, 
and so, yeah, it, it, it's, it's good for us to come back to it and kind of, uh, see the little details that maybe we wouldn't, wouldn't see otherwise. Um, and, and I agree with you. It is kind of fascinating. Here's this humble little appearance. Uh, and, and I, I want to say too, and just get your thoughts on this, Brian, when, uh, for example, verse seven, he's seen the oppression mm-hmm. of his people. Uh, I have heard, I know, uh, I have come down. Um, that are, are these literal depictions of what God is actually doing at this time? Or are, is this accommodative language that he's using mm-hmm. to help Moses get an idea of what he's doing and what he's thinking about? I think that's a, that's a good question. Um, It's a, it's a difficult question, too, because sometimes the, the psalmists in turn will use really challenging language to describe similar Exodus type of things. Uh, like they'll, they'll beg God to hear. They'll implore God to see, to open his eyes. And of course, why would they be praying if they don't think he hears? Uh, Psalm 44 uh, 23. I know we're not in theme section, but just as, just as a reference, he says, arouse yourself. Why do you sleep? O Lord. So it's interesting that really in both directions in different times, you see this really challenging language where it's like, well, I mean, obviously God's not sleeping. The psalmist can't really think that. So, so it's strange. Yeah. I think, I think there's an accommodative nature to it. Um, that still represents, something very important that it communicates. Like when is God noticing? When is he hearing? What is he doing when he's hearing? And what does he want? What does he want us to then learn about what it means for God to see and what it means for God to hear or come down? There's the comparison and even contrast in some ways when he talks about, um, when he, when he says, you know, the Lord God of your fathers, verse 16 of, of chapter three, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob appeared to me. Um, you know, I have surely visited you. And we, of course, we want to remember that when the Bible says that God is visiting someone, he's not just dropping by for tea. You know, he, he's, mm. he's visiting for mm-hmm. a purpose. There is right. something to be accomplished. Right. And that's uh, great. And so I, I, I have to think that this is, I, I would agree, accommodative language to indeed help the reader appreciate, I think, the presence of God. Um, not that, and this is so difficult for us to wrap our heads around, right, Bryant? Because we, uh, if we're Christians, then we already have a sense of God's omnipresence, omnipotence, mm-hmm. the sense that mm-hmm. he, it, he, he could be everywhere. He he is everywhere. He he sees and hears everything. Um, but then we have passages like I mean, and and again, I'm breaking my the rules here too. But he's going to come down onto the mountain to meet with Moses, and uh, you know, thing, things such as that that are just really interesting ways to put it. And, and I do I just think the general sense is that we're being reminded that God is actually there that this is not just some sort of mental uh, exercise that Moses is going through. This is not just uh, some sort of telepathic communication. 
that, mm-hmm. that there is a being and there, he actually is there. Um, that's, right. that's just what I would suggest there. What do you think? Yeah, I think it, it really gets to the idea of how God wants us to know him. Like God is trying to help us to know him in very specific ways, to know how to talk and think about him in very specific ways. And I think that relates to verse 14, where God said to Moses, I am who I am. Uh, I think in the past year specifically, there's some conversations I've been able to have with some people about that verse that have helped me a lot. Um, Just thinking in terms of when he says, I am who I am, it's not just that God is saying, I am all existing, which is how I've usually always taken it. But with that, that God defines himself. Like we don't, we don't get to define God ourselves. We don't get to describe God ourselves. We don't get to think about God ourselves. We let God define and reveal himself. And I think that's ultimately in verse 14, more of what he's saying, not just that he's all existing, but that when he says, I am who I am, he's saying, you don't get to give me a name. You Mm -hmm. don't get to define me. I'll do that. And this is now the time when I'm choosing to do it. To, uh, you know, the Declaration of Independence, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident. And I mm. think that's the same kind of concept that God is. Right. God right. is basically, and I, I got this from a commentary, but it's, you know, he, he, it's almost like he's saying, I am because I am. You know, mm-hmm. I exist because I exist. And people would say that circular logic, but in the case of God, that's really how it is. I, I am because I am. And, right. uh, you know, that, that gets into, you know, uh, that may be something we get into with, with application in terms of, you know, why do we serve God? Why do we praise him? Uh, well, because he exists and because he exists, there's a whole, uh, slew of things, uh, that, that go along with that. But, mm. uh, so, but, but, you know, Moses, of course, he's, he's ready and raring to go. Lord, I've been waiting for, for the time for you to call upon me. You know, I thought, Clearly. I thought, you know, years <laughs> ago, 40 years ago, I thought it was my time to go and liberate my people. I even killed an Egyptian, uh, but now I'm ready to go. And now that's not exactly how it goes. Uh, and fortunately not. And, and, and that's so weird, right? It's so weird to me that like God didn't take him and use him when he was ready and raring to go, you might say, Mm. but now, but he waits until the time when he is the least interested he could possibly be in leaving his home and going back there. I mean, that's like a full generation's worth of time because it's been 40 years since he fled from Egypt. Yep. And by the way, that's another thing the movies get wrong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it, make it makes it look like he's been in Midian for maybe like five years or so. Um, anyway, I don't want to keep going and harping on about that. So, um, but, but God is encouraging him to, to, um, to do this. And of course his answer is, who am I? You know, I'm not that important. And, uh, some interesting lessons, some things to think about there. Um, but, you know, he, his initial objection is, Hey, they're, they're going to say that I'm lying or, well, they, they say that in, in chapter four, verse one, right. But back before then, 
you know, in verse 13, who shall I say has sent me? Okay. And going on from there and notice, well, like I, I see, you know, all throughout God's like, I will deliver you. Uh, I, you know, I will bring you up out of the affliction, right? I will take yeah. you to this land. Um, again, this is a faith thing, isn't it? And, and it's difficult when we read passages and, and again, we're going to revisit this probably in application. It gets difficult when we read these passages and we see people being greatly discouraged or greatly unwilling to do something. Um, mm. and you know, God, God wants to, you know, lift us up to where we, we do these things, but, but really I think part of the hesitancy is when we start to think, well, this is all on me to accomplish. And I, I don't know. Do you, do you think that's what Moses was thinking? Like, you know, surely you're not going to put this all on my shoulders. <laughs> Yeah, I imagine it was pretty jarring. You're just out shepherding your flock one day and all of a sudden it's just laid on you. Hey, you're going to go to Egypt and confront them very directly and you're going to be my main spokesperson to deliver all the people out of Israel or out of Egypt. That'd, that'd just be a lot all at once. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think the attitude that Moses had could be described as almost a, a curt disrespect, a, a, a sense where he... He just does not, I think it goes beyond some other passages that we see. Again, we'll talk about that in the next section, but, but I think he just has this disrespect for the whole thing. You know, when he, Mm -hmm. when we get to the point where he's saying in verse 13 of chapter four, oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whoever else you may send. I I don't, I, I used to read that in almost like a desperate plea, like, you know, just please send anybody else but me. And I, I I don't think that's incorrect, but the meaning itself might also suggest this sense of like, well, God, you're going to, you're going to do this. And so, you know, who, whoever you choose, it's going to be done. And, and so, it, which is weird too, because there's a sense of faith in that statement, but at the same time, it's like, but I don't want that person to be me. Um, right. Which, which again, I think shows a lot of disrespect. Yeah. Cause I think what puts it into perspective is when we recognize who God is and how significant this is, right? I think I think that really puts it into perspective. Because you, you could almost think like, I mean, yeah, I mean Moses is out living his life, you know, like, but but no, God God has an eternal plan that He's been working towards from before the world was ever created, and just all the passion of His glory is working into this, and you know, some one guy is going to stand in the way of this great work and this uh, eternally significant thing that God is doing. And so I think just when, when we understand who God is, things really get put into perspective. And that's, that's when we can also embrace being honest with Moses's faults through this section as well. Just like we can be honest with our own faults when we, when we compare ourselves with, with God. Um, I think about, you know, uh, let God be true, though every man be a liar. You know, the idea of just God is so great and his His mission, his purpose, his character so perfect. Um, it just it just helps helps faults find the right perspective, I think. Uh, so although although Moses is just an incredible figure that God used, he's still he's still ultimately just a man. And I think it is important to remember that. 
Well, and I mean, the, the, the verses where the Lord seeks to kill him in verse 24. Oh yeah. Right. How weird. <laughs> that is really I, weird. It's like the weirdest thing in Exodus. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I would say by far, because, you know, here he is, he's been called upon by God. He's going, God is encouraging him in verse 19, go return to Egypt for all the men who sought your life are dead. There's this implication that don't be afraid. I've got your back. And then he's coming and seeking to kill him. But I think, again, you have to look at the context here and you, you determine, obviously, uh, remember who's reading this. It's the, it's the children of Israel who are reading this. Um, primarily it's Moses writing it. And, uh, you know, here, here they're seeing Moses go off and, and God is seeking to kill him. Uh, and, and it takes Zipporah cutting off the foreskin, circumcising their son. So that's kind of what I would say, of course, that that's the answer to this is that they hadn't circumcised their son yet. But uh, at the same time, you take a you take a step back and you realize, you know, what would this have meant to the Israelite who read it? You know, uh, I think that's the usefulness of it. So they could be reminded and see, wow, you know, that circumcision is really an important thing. Like, I really need to follow God's commands in this. That's that's just what I would say about that. What do you think? <laughs> it definitely shows that God is not partial. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I wonder if it, there's a relation between his unwillingness to go and what happens here as well. I, I don't know if there's a relationship there. I just... You see this sort of weakness in him that he allows himself to be so hesitant about this that he really treats God with a lack of respect. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it really shows that he was right in verse 13. You know, it seems like God God can use whoever he wants, you know, and if, if Moses... <laughs> was not going to circumcise his son, you know, like there would be so many problems that would come from that. And it would really discredit Moses as a leader of the people, even in the eyes of the people and, and just something so incredibly simple, you know, and it's actually very encouraging because God doesn't treat Moses with partiality, both at the beginning and at the end, uh, at the end of Moses's life. So it's, it's, it's definitely, um, humbling, uh, to see that, but it's also just really encouraging how God doesn't show any favoritism here. And to know that God did have the confidence, obviously that if Moses was not going to listen, then yeah, I mean, he would, he would find somebody else. So let's go a little deeper here. Let's uh, let's pull some threads from other parts of the scriptures and really tie this uh, tie this together, so that maybe this will actually mean a little bit more to us. Um, so he sees this bush, 
And one thing I wanted to note too, this is the Old Testament equivalent of Zechariah going into the temple and seeing the angel, right? That's interesting. Because think about that. You know, at that point in Luke, it's been 400 years or so since the last time God had any message to deliver, you know, to his people through uh, divine inspiration. Um, so I, I don't know how similar those two things are. Zechariah is described as a fellow who keeps the law, you know, uh, pristinely and just is, is living a life that's pleasing to God. And uh, so he's, he's being chosen to be given this news about his son, John, who, who the son to be John the Baptist. Um, and, but, but God, of course, is calling upon Moses to be the one to really, really, you think about it, he's calling upon Moses to be a revolutionary, to, to go in and change things on a massive scale. But of course, it's not really Moses doing this. It's, it's God who will be with him. Right. You know, one thing we didn't really talk about um, in the previous section is the reaction of Moses toward this. You know, that mm. Moses wants to look at it and, um, you know, he, he wants Moses to take his sandals off his feet. And, you know, one thing to. Oh, yeah. One thing yeah. to appreciate there, too, is that there was nothing. I don't think there was anything holy about that ground before. Moses came onto it and there was this burning bush. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is something where you see there are certain holy locations and other locations that aren't holy. Uh, the reason that it was holy is because God was there and, and that mm -hmm. presence of God, again, linking back up to this idea of the presence of God. And, uh, you know, what better to think about the presence of God really when you look in, in John chapter one, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Um, so that abiding with man, that coming to be with man, to right the wrongs, mm. to do the right thing, to, to, uh, to free us from enslavement, uh, should ring mm. fairly familiar for those who, uh, know the life of Christ and know him and, and walk with him. Yeah. And it's interesting that with it being a bush, with fire consuming it, but it's not being burned. I wonder if that also relates to Christ in a way where, um, you know, that fire should have been doing harm to the bush, but instead it was, it was dwelling with the bush without doing it any harm. Mm -hmm. So I just, I wonder if there's some sense of God who can do harm and especially fire to something like a bush could easily consume it chooses to manifest himself in a way to demonstrate both his consuming power, but also at the same time, the miracle of his harmlessness in approaching those who should be harmed by his presence. If that makes sense, like when people approach Jesus, they should have died on the spot. But God worked so hard in knowing how harmful his presence is to do everything he could to draw us to his presence harmlessly. Um, so I wonder if that might be uh, 
like a, a type of some sort. Well, there's some sort of comparison here, right? Because Matthew three eleven, I indeed baptize with you, b- baptize you. This is John the Baptist. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier mm-hmm. than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then Luke three sixteen, mm-hmm. uh, John mm-hmm. saying similar thing. Uh, one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy spirit and fire. So th- there is a right. fire aspect there. You have tongues of fire appearing above the apostles heads on the day of Pentecost. Um, again, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of these things, but there is some spiritual aspect to the fire as, as a purifier, you might say, or some sort of aspect there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think specifically that fire deals with uh, the day of Pentecost and the uh, the conversion of the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter ten. Um, so I, right. I think we're talking about you know baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think that's what we're talking about in those two uh, events. I know some people will say that when you're baptized, uh, you know, when you you undergo immersion baptism. Today, you're also undergoing baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I'm just not sure that I read it that way specifically. Um, I, I'm mm-hmm. welcome to a discussion about that if any of our listeners would love to email us uh, about that and talk about that. But but yeah, fire fire has something to do with a lot of these things, and we're, we're going to see that symbol uh, of fire continually brought up uh, in reference to God. Yeah, because it's isn't it interesting that with that, the next time God appears in fire, it is in a terrifying way and a consuming way. Well, the the pillar of fire, is that what you were referring to? Oh, no. Oh, yeah, you're right. I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about Sinai. Oh, okay. Well, no. But even before then, the, although this is not really God appearing, but is the burning hail upon, uh, upon Egypt at the same time. So mm, we have yeah, those elements yeah, true yeah, too, yeah. but, but yeah, before Sinai yeah, though, he's got that pillar of fire that he is separating the Egyptians from, uh, from the Israelites and protecting them, right. Um, protecting right. their flank or I don't know what yeah. you would say on, you know, battlefield terminology there, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think, I think that's very uh, interesting thing that we can keep talking about, but, um, you know, let's let's move ahead and thinking about these miracles that he is showing to them. You know, uh, having the staff turn into a serpent. Um, of course, there's a lot of uh, symbolism there in terms of scripture. The the uh, Jesus said, uh, "Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves." Uh, so there's the wisdom and craftiness of a serpent being displayed here. Um, God is is making it to where he is going to. Uh, provide this escape for his people. And he's going to do it in such a way that I think we could say is very wise in the ways that he circumvents everything that Pharaoh tries to do. And, uh, you know, what we will, again, we'll, we'll see that more as we study and, and, and consider those chapters together. But, um, and then of course the leprous hand, do you have anything to share about any of that? Any thoughts that come to your mind, Bryant? Mm, I haven't really thought about those too much in connection to anything else. Well, I think generally you're talking about God being shown as being in complete control of the situation. Um, 
And you know, one other thing too, verse 16 of chapter chapter four, uh Aaron shall be Moses' spokesman to the people. Aaron shall be as a mouth for Moses, and Moses shall be to him as God. That's that's fascinating to me. Mm. Because there's God taking this is how it works with you. And so from that we can understand a little bit more about how God imparts knowledge to man. Mm. Would you not say? That's interesting. No, that's a very interesting thought. I haven't thought about that. Because it it it, it works completely with what we see, for example, in um, what is it, Second Peter? Um, oh, Second Peter there, so chapter one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, for prophecy, verse 21, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Um, so, so I, I think that is an eternal principle that you see. This is how God, uh, indicates his truth to mankind. Now that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. And that, that really um, speaks to how God was working to exalt Moses as well. Yes. Uh, You know, and I wonder if that's a part of why God waited for so long um, is because he was trying to draw, like everything was so perfect, you know, like not only Israel's oppression, the time since Joseph, Moses and his events in the past in his life, but just the things that obviously had been happening in Moses's heart since he had left Egypt. Um. In Ezekiel uh, 22, um, at the end of Ezekiel 22, we're studying Ezekiel on Wednesday evenings in Garden City, and um, there was something in the discussion that was um, interesting uh, that we talked about for a minute, and it's in verse 30 of Ezekiel 22. It says, I searched for a man among them who had built up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the lance that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. And Moses is actually described. Uh, I think he might be the only other person. The, well, the only other time standing in the gap is mentioned, I think, is in re- reference to Moses. And for God to say, I couldn't find anyone to do that. Therefore, the people will not be saved. It seems as if because of God's character of humility, if he cannot exalt someone in acting to save he cannot act. It's not just that he will not act. Humility is crippled when it cannot exalt another in the process of its acting. And so I think that's a big thing that's happening here. And I think that's like Philippians chapter two with Jesus. Jesus alleviated God from being crippled with salvation in so many ways, simply because of God's humility. In Philippians two, it mentions that, you know, that Uh, When Jesus was obedient to the point of death on the cross, that God gave him the name, which is above every name, that every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Um, And so I think I think that's a really humbling thing to think about, that God chooses to act in a way where he he is honored. But the way that he's honored is through the way that he honors the humble. And so I think that may be what's what's happening with Moses and why he can exalt Moses in that way is because of Moses's humility. Yes, and that, that may be, again, I think we've touched on this, that may be the reason why we see that maybe he was ready to go and try to free Israel 40 years previously, but mm-hmm. he wasn't ready mm-hmm. 
in the way that God wanted wanted him to be ready. Mm, that's a great point. And I think a lot of proud men take it upon themselves to think of themselves mm. as, well, I'm the one that God wants, you know, God wants me to be here. God, you know, yeah. this is not going to happen without me being here. Well, I think we right. need to take a step back when we're thinking that way. Those are some dangerous things for us to be thinking because, you know, God, God is not going to use uh, a proud man, at least not to his uh, benefit. I think God used, for example, Alexander the Great for a number of things, <laughs> not necessarily supernaturally, but that's a whole other uh, uh, discussion, of course, but uh, from everything I've heard and read, Alexander the Great was a very, very proud man, a uh, very, uh, you know, self-obsessed man, you might say. But, uh, you know, he didn't benefit from God using him providentially. And so we want we want God to use us for the work and we want to be used up for the work and we want to benefit from that using up as well. Mm-hmm. Um. So, uh, you know, what's great about this too, did you have any, hold on, did you have anything else before we finish up this section, Brian? Uh, there were a couple things. Go ahead, man. Um, let's see. One, one thing is verse eight, um, chapter three, chapter three, verse eight, uh, Something, I guess, kind of small that's interesting is he says, I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land. So God is saying he's going, in a sense, to descend to then bring others to ascend with him. And I mean, just even saying it that way, you can probably see the connection, you know, that Jesus obviously descended, but after his descending, he ascends with others with him, bringing them to God, bringing them to a new land. Uh, I think of Ephesians 2, where Ephesians 2 mentions that in our salvation, we're raised up, not just from spiritual death, but we're seated with him in the heavenly places. So we are brought upward with him. So I think just how much the Exodus typifies salvation is really hard to appreciate. There's like every detail nearly <laughs> typifies something about our present salvation. Uh, I guess, do you have any, any thoughts on that, Stephen, that verse or anything? Yeah, no, to- total agreement. Um, you know, remember that Jerusalem itself is at a higher elevation from the mm-hmm. land around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least the, you know, much of the land is, is mountainous. So, uh, you know, you have that, but I, I think there is a sense that he's come down Again, I don't think that's literal, but I think going up, I think you could sense, in a sense, that is literal because, you know, not only are they going north, but uh, there would be an elevation change in terms of that as well. So, uh, but I, I think generally, in terms of what the scriptures do, you know, God brings us up out of that pit. He uh, sets us among princes and kings in the kingdom. You know, the the poor are made high, the the rich are made low, and uh, yeah, that's that's the kingdom right there. Yeah, yeah, and then just another quick type with in that same context when it's talking about their oppression. Hebrews two fifteen uh, mentions that 
Um, when Jesus partook of flesh and blood, it's that through death he might render powerless him by the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So there again, you have the type that, you know, Jesus is freeing from slavery those who are in bondage to the devil and death. So I think Egypt in so many ways represents being in the position of spiritual death, uh, which would be would really be the real death and being enslaved enslaved to death as well and the power of death. And we'll see too, that there was some form of like blending of the religions, you know, the, the, there, there's a great blessing. When we finished Genesis, we talked about how great it is that God is setting them in a, up in a place where they're going to be abhorred. You know, most of the people are going to look at them as an abomination, but it seems later on, there still was some sort of intermixing, uh, to some degree. I don't know what that was, but, um, you know, there's always a, a negative influence when, uh, you have God's people among those who are not God's people that we have to be very cautious of and careful mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, God is indeed going to bring them out of there. And, and there's, you know, when you see the end of this chapter, everything looks great. It looks like everybody's firing on all cylinders, we're ready to go. Moses and Aaron are together. Uh, they declare God's words to the people, and the people believe. They have a faith. They uh, they understood that God has done something to help them in their affliction. They're bowing their heads and worshiping. Well, you know, we could say the end, and they lived happily ever after. But that's definitely not the case. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see in the next chapter that things go south very quickly. Um, so, but before we go into that, we do want to try to learn a little bit more from these two chapters as well. Verse 13, if I was going to, of chapter three, chapter three, 13, um, if there was a theme that I would give to Exodus, it is the revealing of God's name. And I think that's really what sets Exodus apart from Genesis. And I just like to really quickly Um, walk through some verses in in Exodus that I think really show that that's the theme of of Exodus. Uh, So it's, you know, what is his name? What am I going to say? God says, I am who I am. This is my name forever. Exodus 5.2, Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Uh, Obey his voice and let Israel go. So he doesn't know his name. Chapter 6, verse 3, he says, and I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Uh, chapter nine, verse 16, um, says, but indeed for this reason, I've allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through the, all the earth. Uh, then chapter 15, verse 23 says, when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters for they were bitter. Therefore they named him. Ah, no, that's not that verse. We're going to skip that one. Uh, 20 verse seven, not taking the name of the Lord in vain. Um, so God's name is to be held in reverence. And then the last one is chapter 33 and 34. Uh, we're at the end of chapter 33. Um, Moses after interceding for the sake of the people with the instance of the golden calf. Uh, Moses is indignant because God knows his name, but he says that he does not know God's glory. So he begs to see God's glory in 33, 18. Um, 
And in verse 19, he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. And then in chapter 34, uh, it mentions in verse 5, um, I think the New King James has a better reading. The name of the Lord was called out. And then in verse uh, 6 through uh, 7, um, the Lord is described. And um, one of the things that's described about God uh, is that he's a jealous God as well. Um, in verse uh, 14, it says his name is jealous. So, so anyway, I think that's one of the big themes of, of Exodus is what is the name of the Lord? What does that mean? And uh, I think in Exodus, what we see is God describing himself in a way that for the rest of the Bible, God remains consistent through different cultures, circumstances, times, peoples. He never betrays every single detail of how he reviews, reveals himself in Exodus, not even one breach of all these different, very um, sometimes strange things that God does in Exodus all teach lessons about his character that are fulfilled, not only through the Old Testament story in very challenging ways, but through Jesus as well. So um, I think that's just a really amazing theme to see and, and an, an amazing theme, I think, to uh, anticipate as well. So what does all this mean? We want to think about these chapters and do our best to apply them to our lives and what we're doing so that maybe we can be uh, better servants of God and more uh, better Bible students of his word as well. So uh, what, what were some things that jumped out at you, Bryant, in terms of application? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You go first. <laughs> well, the most obvious would uh, be if you know that God wants you to do something, do it. Right. Um, you know, uh, don't try to seek excuses. Don't try to rationalize some other way. And certainly don't disrespect God while you're doing that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and none of us are have a burning bush that shows up randomly in our lives, you know. Um, wouldn't that be funny if that's just the way that God decided to talk to every single person, <laughs> right? One day you're going to see that burning bush somewhere. Um, but God intends for us to read his word and study it and to come to a conclusion about what his word means and apply that to ourselves. And, you know, just simply asking the question, you know, what am I, what am I doing? What's the point of my life? What's the purpose of my life? A lot of people are looking for a purpose, a lot of people are looking for what to do. A lot of people are trying to figure out, you know, what's the purpose that God has for my life. And uh, we believe, Bryant and I believe, that he's lined that out very clearly in the New Testament. And uh, 
provided a foundation for that in the Old Testament. And so again, we're seeing the foundation, just as we talked about earlier, uh, the, the story of Exodus is essentially the foundation for salvation, more or less. It shows us everything. We, we see every aspect here. There's a sense where, where uh, the people need to hear God and believe him and act upon that belief in terms of turning away and repenting, going away from Egypt, and uh, then entering into a covenant with him by proclaiming who he is and by being baptized by him. And don't, don't think that's too much of a stretch, by the way, because, you know, there's New Testament scriptures. There's a scripture that talks about how they were baptized while they were in the sea. And so there is an aspect there that, that, that uh, is the same thing with baptism. And then going on and having a relationship with him for the rest of your life. Um, you know, all that's there. And so, when, when you know that what God wants you to do, don't refuse him. Don't try to uh, manufacture or rationalize some way out of fulfilling God's will for your life. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. I mean, because don't we know, I guess, from hindsight that obviously God provided everything that Moses needed so that this could be accomplished Yes. And he tells him beforehand, this is what's going to happen. Right, and I know right. that it's not the same exact thing for us, but I mean, there are passages that show us that, you know, all those who live godly will suffer persecution. There's that right. promise there. Um, a number of places in the New Testament that we see statements like that. And so sense is where we should not be surprised when we see things that are inherently disappointing or discouraging. You know, that's one thing I wanted to bring up too, Bryant. Uh, you know, another point of the scriptures where we see someone being uh, discouraged and maybe uh, maybe saddened and disheartened is when Elijah is, you know, being chased off by Jezebel. And mm-hmm. he, tells, he tells God, you know, take my life. This is enough. You know, I'm, my life isn't as good as what, what my father's did. I haven't done, you know, as well as them. And... God, God reminds him, you know, hey, there, there are good people out there. There's 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see a clear parallel between Moses and him, though. I mean, it's, I think it's similar, but I would look at what Moses is doing here as just much more disrespectful than what Elijah does. I don't know your thoughts about that, Bryant, but... I think the general thing that I want to get across in terms of application is that good people, people who want to do the right thing, will from time to time become uh, depressed, will become discouraged, will feel like this is not even worth it. Uh, What's the point of this? Uh, And just because you feel that way doesn't necessarily mean that you're wrong with God. Now, if you're thinking about that in healthy ways and doing the wrong thing about it, then yeah, there there may be a question there. But uh, you know, Moses himself, God is calling upon him while Moses himself has not done all that he ought to have done. Right? Mm. I mean, think about that. Someone says, Well, I can't become a Christian because I haven't I haven't stopped drinking, I haven't stopped smoking, I haven't stopped cussing, or however you want to say it. You know, whatever you know, you're going to have to give up. Mm. 
God called upon Moses to follow him before he had had circumcised his son. Right. And there's still a lot of work in Moses to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it can definitely give us confidence about, one, God will absolutely provide what's needed to fulfill his will. And two, God purposely chooses to call us when there's a lot of work to do. And God knows that. God knows that we're weak and that we're inadequate. And God wants us to seek him and trust him in that inadequacy. I know for me, something I've really struggled with is if I'm not if I'm not great at something already or impressive in front of others, then I feel like a failure and I feel like I shouldn't even try or do it at all, which is really just, just pride. But I mean, I have really struggled with, with that, with that kind of pride, uh, through my youth and, and, and still do in some ways. Um, but I mean, in, in, in the Lord, it's important that we go through that inadequacy. And, and then when God blesses us to grow, and to have wisdom to accomplish something that he's commanded, then that can help us then not have pride when God blesses us to be more um, practiced and um, under and have more understanding with anything. Like I think even like with with preaching, you know, um, like it doesn't matter how eloquent or how good someone is at putting together a lesson or how well studied they are all of that is of the lord and not of them at all and it's the lord to get the glory and and we just really need to remember that you know we're just meager unprofitable servants only doing what we've been commanded to do so whether whether someone looks impressive or not uh we're all we're all the same and need to strive to serve no matter where we are and find encouragement that it's God who provides and will provide. Amen. Well, I can't think of anything else to offer. How about you? I think there was something. I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, I th- I think I remember. Um I think there might be a good application to get out of um uh Aaron and Zipporah and them both helping Moses. Um, Yeah. Seemingly being on board from the start. Right. You know, so I think it's important that Aaron was who he was, you know, and Aaron didn't have this burning jealousy. Like, why didn't God appear to me? You know, why, why you, (laughs) where have you been for these 40 years? You know, like, you know, like there's just none of that. And, and Zipporah, you know, I don't, I don't know why Moses didn't circumcise his son when God confronted him and was trying to kill him. But, you know, it's obviously really important that Zipporah did. So, you know, just, just her doing that was obviously a, a great blessing. And the fact that that's preserved in the word now forever is, is so important. Um, so I don't know. There, there, I think there's, there's some kind of lesson in there about just doing what needs to be done, especially to, to help others. And it's so easy to think that, my role isn't important because I'm not as visible as others. And that's just, man, that's just so dangerous when somebody feels like what they're doing doesn't matter because it's not as visible as what someone else does and people don't recognize it maybe as much. Um, and, and, and I think that's, that again is something that, that I've struggled with. And it's just so important, what, whatever, whatever the need is, whatever the moment demands, just do it, be that. And even if it's 
helping someone else who's the more visible person and just being their helper, just whatever it is, be that and be joyful for how much God cares about that. Because obviously God needed an Aaron and God really needed Zipporah. And Moses, again, Moses was just a man. It just so happened that God had set things up to use Moses as the vessel he would use. Um, so be be what God needs you to be and um, be content and joyful with, with that being something that God seems, uh, that God will see as being essential and important. You know, people criticize the Bible because they look in historical records and documents and they say, well, there's no reference to David here. There's no reference to so-and-so here, whatever. Uh, when the reality is what you find in the scriptures is that 90% of the time, it seems God's people are working in obscurity. Mm. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. the faithful, the remnant is just toiling away working away, doing what God wants them to do. And that does not give you fame. That doesn't bring you some special right. place in the world. If it does, then you really have to seriously, I mean, if I was as famous as, you know, I don't know if I was famous, I'd have to start thinking about like, well, am I really doing the right thing here? Mm. <laughs> Is there something wrong with what really? I'm doing? Because like, you know, uh, and, and, and so we have to be careful in our, in our thinking this way. So, so your point is very well made Bryant and very well intended here. And uh, so we have to, you know, do the work that God wants us to do, recognize it, be willing to act upon it. And, uh, and we're going to be blessed for it. You know, Moses is going to be blessed for it and the people of Israel are going to be blessed for it. And, uh, and we can be blessed for doing his will as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. We hope it was profitable for you. Certainly has been profitable for us. What do you think, Bryant? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Always surprising in how much we're able to get out of, uh, the text in ways that um, I never anticipate. Mm. And, you know, it's always useful for us to put ourselves in their shoes as best as we can. It's hard to do that completely, but we can do it with God's word. Well, next time, Lord willing, we'll be going into uh, Exodus chapter five. Until then, study well and be lights to God's glory. The music on this podcast is provided courtesy of Symphonia. Visit their website at symphonia.com. Walking Through the Book is created and promoted with the support of the North Columbus Church of Christ in Columbus, Mississippi. Find out more at northcolumbuschristians.com. The website of the Garden City Church of Christ in Savannah, Georgia is gardencitycoc.org.